But I wanted to uh, look at the book of Philippians. Uh, I felt like for a while now that uh, God was wanting me to, to look at this book a little more in depth. And it's always um, amazing to me um, as I've, I've, I've read uh, many of the books of the Bible a few times and different things. But every time that I look at it, there's something different that I see or when I'm studying it, something else is brought to the forefront where you're looking at, at different things. Pastor Davis just uh, talked about last week as we were, were going through the book of Acts uh, and as we're studying the early church. Uh, and I'm not sure if I'm saying it, but Gamaliel, uh, a teacher um, that was uh, before uh, the, the, the church there in Jerusalem as they were um, teaching. Uh, the disciples were thrown in prison. They were beaten and, and tossed out. It says they left the presence of the council rejoicing. They were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. From Acts 5, 41 and 42. We just looked at that last week. Uh, but Paul, also known as Saul, actually studied under that teacher. Um, and as many of you might be aware of the, the history of Paul, um, that is uh, the name by which we call him, but he was formerly Saul, and so you have uh, Paul's journey. Um, so and we've been talking about the Church of the Miraculous, that, that God was moving and working in this church and showing his power through the disciples, through healings, um, through all different ways, uh, giving them uh, and showing them the veracity of his word, that he could be trusted, that he could be, uh, that he was faithful all the time. Um, but in Paul's journey, and we haven't gotten there yet, but a quick overview, his conversion is in the book of Acts, and it starts in Acts chapter 9, and Short thing, he was blinded on the road to Damascus. He was given a letter by the council to go and persecute this church that was rising up, that was talking about Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He was given free reign to do what he wanted to do. He was there at the stoning of Stephen. And yet on the road to Damascus, he hears a voice from the Lord. He is blinded. He is told to go into the city and see this man. And so if you want to turn quick to Acts chapter 9, I do want to read a little bit of a portion of that. Acts chapter 9. So at, at starting in verse 10, uh, just in the beginning it talks about him being blinded. He was told to go into the city of Damascus. Three days he was without sight, but this is a prophecy that is important to Paul. It says, There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. This is the very beginning of... Paul's uh, mission from God. And that is prophecy given to Ananias of this is what is going to happen, how much he will suffer. And so I, I have some, some maps. Mike, if you can turn to that first one. Paul, um, you can look these up online and look at it. But Paul had three missionary journeys that he went on. And so uh, there, this map is of his first two missionary journeys. And in the first one, he didn't go as far as the second. He stayed among um, relatively close. And so in his first missionary journey, um, he goes this way, comes up, goes around, and he comes back, and he's going to come back to, to Antioch. Um, 
But in his second missionary journey, you can see that he goes all the way through Asia and up to Philippi. And he was the one who planted the, the Philippi church. And so when we start in Philippians, this is him writing to the church that he went on in his second missionary journey. And so all of this is contained in the book of Acts. So in the first missionary journey, you can read that in Acts 13, 14. His second missionary journey starts in Acts 16 through 18. That's around 49, 51 AD that he goes on a journey about three years where he plants the, the first European church at Philippi. It's where he is praying to God about going into Asia and being able to preach the gospel in Asia and he was not allowed to go where he wanted to go. And so he was, he was going to go somewhere else, but God showed him that he was in a vision to go to Macedonia. And so upon going there, he goes to the, the church at Philippi. I mean, he goes to Philippi and he begins that, that church in, in Acts 16. That's where Lydia is converted. She's a seller of purple goods. Um, a rich woman. It's also where we read the story of uh, the Philippian jailer. All right, in his in his journey there, he was not treated very well. Um, he was thrown in prison because when he was going about, Lydia was able to hear the good news. It says she was a believer in God, but God opened her ears to understand, and her and her household were baptized. And she says, "Come back with me to my house, uh, and I will help you." And so Paul and with his, his other brothers that are with him on this journey go with him. And while they're going, there's this slave girl, and it says she has a spirit of divination. She's able to, to tell things uh, to other people, and her owners are making a lot of money on her. And, and, and Paul, during this time, goes to them, and he brings that spirit of divination out of her and these men who own the slave girl are very upset that he caused all this because now she's worthless. He's not making any money for them. And so it caused a ruckus. These Jews are causing trouble for us, teaching this uh, false doctrine. And so they are thrown in jail. And then you hear the story of the Philippian jailer. And Paul is, is in prison with his brothers, and they're singing hymns praying to God. The Philippian jailer is wondering what's going on and asks him, and him and his whole household is saved. And that is the beginning of the church at Philippi there. And so as I said, this is in 49-51 AD. He would go see them again on his third missionary journey. I might if you go to the next one. This is where he traveled. He went back to many of the churches uh, many of the places where he was preaching the gospel, where he was sharing the good news, went to visit them again. But here, and that's in Acts uh, 18 and chapters 18 through 21. But in Acts chapter 21 through 28, it talks about the arrest of Paul. And that's where we see the prophecy fulfilled by Ananias in his life. Maybe not the way Paul thought it was going to go. But it said where he would go before kings and would be going to the Gentiles to preach my word. And so Paul, during the time of writing the book of Philippians, it's been about 10 years since he first went there on his second missionary journey. Roughly about 10 years of time has passed. He loves these people. And so we're going to read about uh, that journey. The city of Philippi was an important place. Um, in, in Macedonia there. You can see um, up there, um, it's not on this map, but going from east to west was a thing called the Ignatius Way, a very well-traveled road by the Roman um, people. It was Philippi was a Roman colony. They were declared citizens of Rome. Latin was spoken. The city became like a little Rome. It was a major east-to-west Roman highway that went through Philippi, and they enjoyed special privileges. It was, it was very important. One of the, the commentators said this, Travelers by sea landed at Neapolis, then traveled 10 miles to Philippi along the Ignatia Way, which traversed Macedonia from east to west. 
there was a town there named Crenides that was important because it was known for its gold ore. And it's called Philippi after Philip of Macedon, who enlarged and fortified it. Um, and this colony was planted. It had Greek, Romans, and Asiatic people. They represented different phases of philosophy, religion, and superstition. So this is the area that Paul went into. This is the, the people that he has given the good news to. Ten years ago, and now he's writing this letter from jail. He's been arrested. He's on his way to Rome. He's on his way to go before Caesar. And God gives him amazing opportunity. And, and what's important to note about him, about Paul specifically, that it didn't matter his situation. He could have been bitter about all that has happened. And yet when you look at the book of Philippians, he is overjoyed. And he's overjoyed for the, for, for the Philippians themselves, but he's overjoyed to share with them, hey, all these things that have been done, it's because God has allowed these things to happen. And this is how he wanted things to come about. And I have the amazing privilege of being able to share the gospel with people I would never have contact with if I were not in this situation. And so if you would turn with me to the, the book of Philippians, starting in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you were all partakers of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's stop and pray for a minute. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you are good to us. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear this morning, Father, that uh, these would be your words. Lord, as, as we look at Paul and what he has written to the Philippian church and what your spirit had directed him to say, Father, we pray that you would give us minds to understand this morning, that you would give us principles to apply to our life, that you would allow us to become more and more like you like your Son, and all that he has done as you continue to sanctify us through the work of the Spirit. And we give you all the thanks and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look verse uh, by verse at some of these uh, things and, and stop along the way to talk about some of the things that Paul talks about. Uh, but it's very interesting to note that as, as Paul writes this letter, you'll, you'll hear the words joy, um, for you all, and yet I, I gave you a little bit of the history. He was he was thrown in jail. He was beaten. He was he would tell the the Thessalonians. He wrote to them as well. After he was at Philippi, he would go on and continue his missionary journey, and he would eventually go to Thessalonica. And when he wrote his letter to them, he told them as well that we were treated horribly in, in Philippi. Um, because they were they were beaten, because they were thrown in, in jail, and yet here he he tells them he thinks of them fondly. This is ten years since first going, and, and in part of that he says that um, that he they were partakers with them, and it was from the very first day until now. 
remember this is 10 years later. This church has partnered with Paul for the duration of his ministry from when he first came to speak with them and tell them of the good news, where God gave them the ability to hear, respond, and then to live out their lives for Christ. He has, has given them the ability to help Paul in his endeavors. And that's why uh, one of the commentators, I borrowed his outline. It's not my outline, but he talks about the fellowship of the gospel that is contained in here. And then he, something that we're not going to look at this week, but in, in the verses after 11, the furtherance of the gospel, and then, then the faith of the gospel. And uh, Warren Wearsby is, is the one that, that gave that. And as I was looking at various commentaries on this, it, it just felt right in line uh, with what um, has been on my heart as we continue here at this church to be uh, a Christian and missionary alliance of partnering in the gospel, of having fellowship in the gospel among ourselves, uh, but also as we partner with, with others, as Sharon comes, as we continue uh, to be ministers with her by financial support, by prayer support, as we continue with the O'Connors in Gabon uh, as medical missionaries, um, as we lift up missionaries all around the world, not just from the CMA, but all of God's people that are standing on his word. Uh, just the importance of being in fellowship. And so reading and looking at, at Paul this morning, he addresses them, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. If you look at a lot of his letters, uh, some of the, the designations that Paul gives himself is he, he wants to tell them, hey, I'm an apostle. He's giving them uh, where his authority comes from, yet he planted this church. They know who he is. It's a very familiar, uh, familial uh, usage of, of this letter that he's writing to them, but it's a very standard greeting that he normally uses, except that he leaves off the apostle. He says, we are servants of Jesus Christ. And that plays a prominent role in the book of Philippians as well, because he is pointing out from the very beginning that his life is not his own. What he is struggling with, he's, he's in jail, he's under 24-hour supervision, he's chained to a guard. Many years of his life, uh, when you read in the book of Acts, he goes through all of the things that he has struggled with, how many times he was beaten. You read about the shipwreck to Malta while he's traveling to Rome, all of the things. He, there's opportunities for him to get away, and yet he knew he was in the will of God, and he was his servant, and this was the plan that he had for him. Even as we read uh, in Acts 9 of Ananias' vision that Jesus, uh, that the Spirit gave to him, I will show him all that he must suffer for me. Paul will suffer as a servant of Jesus, but he readily recognizes that, and he does so with joy, not bitterness, not lamenting his situation, but he recognizes that in every situation he has learned, he will tell them, he has learned how to be content. Because God is with him. Even as we sang morning, I am not alone. God is with us. And so he says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, He's specifically writing to believers. He's specifically writing to those whose lives have been changed by the gospel. Their lives have been transformed. It's not a designation that these are great people, that we call them saints. Sometimes we hear the word saint and we think they haven't done anything wrong. They're perfect people. They're, they've done some amazing thing. But when he uses the word saint, it's simply stating that their lives have been covered by the blood of Jesus, that he, they have the righteousness of Christ applied to them. And so they are saints. You are saints because you have the, the blood of Christ applied to your life, covering your sins. His righteousness is upon you. He says with the overseers, another term could be would be elders and deacons, deacons being the ones that serve the needs. They're a servant, the daily tasks that need to be done. But he, he begins the main body. That's just who he is, the designation he gives them. It's not 
anything special. You look at some of his other writings, it's how he does a lot of his book, whether it's to the Corinthians, whether it's to the Galatians, whether it's to the Ephesians, the Thessalonians. Begins the same. Paul gives a designation, tells them, and he says, Grace and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, recognizing who the authority comes from, recognizing that he has received grace from God, you have received grace from God, continue on in grace and continue on to have that peace that comes from the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And so he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. As I said, he talks about some of the history there. He, he looks back on his time fondly because it's not based on his circumstances, but it's based on the work of God. Lives were transformed. Families were, were saved. They were transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Lydia and all her family and her household. The woman that had the spirit of divination, life was changed. The Philippian jailer and his family, all who had heard, they turned and were baptized. The church was started. And now he's writing 10 years later, and we see he's right, he's putting overseers and deacons there. This church has grown. It hasn't remained stagnant. It's not as if he planted the church and he's writing to them and correcting things, but he's writing to them. It's grown. It's The ministry has expanded there in this Roman colony. And so he thanks God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. And he says this, he, he does all of that because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. When we talk about our, our Christian lives, when we talk about fellowship with one another, it's not just getting together on, on Sunday morning and, and coming to hear the Word. It's not about just gathering together and having a meal together, but it's really about being in one another's lives, being concerned for one another. That's what Paul's going to kind of talk about when he gets into his, his prayer a little bit later, that I have you in my mind. I have you in my heart, and I have you in prayer. I'm uplifting you before God. Ten years later after playing it, he still is concerned. Think back ten years. Are you still concerned about some of the same things you were concerned about ten years ago? Hopefully the answer is yes. That just because God hasn't answered some of those things yet, we're not defeated in saying he's... He's not going to do that. But some of us have family members that are super hard. But God can break through. Some of us have situations that we're in and that we're dealing with that seem too difficult. God can break through. And it's not about how much time has passed, but it's about placing your trust in the one who has all the time in the world, who can redeem the time that has been lost, that can continue on, so he said, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and, and later on in the book, Philippians 4, verses 15 and 16, he says this, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And so after his time there, he continued on his missionary journey. That's his third one, but it's talking about his second missionary journey. Mike, if you could go back to the other one. On his second missionary journey, as he's going up through Asia, he gets to Philippi. All of his time after that, the, the Philippian church there was intense on helping Paul and those that were with him. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he tells uh, the Corinthian church this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. This is a church that understands who God is and has enough faith to trust that 
even in our affliction, we're still going to be concerned with what Paul is doing. I think that hits home for us too because we're a, a church that is has been suffering for the, the past couple of years with the things that have been going on and the transitional ministry and numbers being down and looking at all of these different things. But our concern should never wane for what God is doing and how he is working and thinking that we should stop supporting those things. But we should continue on evermore trusting that he has the resources to provide for every one of our needs. And so Paul would say to the Corinthians, For they gave according to their means, and I can testify beyond their means, of their own accord. It wasn't forced. It wasn't because Paul said condemnation would come up, but they knew in their heart God would provide for them. He said they even begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And there's an important principle. First, give yourself to the Lord. If you're in a situation in your life now, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, whether it's financial, give yourself to the Lord first and allow him to move and work. Kenneth Wust, um, in his commentary on says, his commentary on this talks about that partnership. Another uh, versions use the word fellowship. The word fellowship in the original means a joint participation in a common interest in a, interest and activity. This was the meaning of the word fellowship. The English word has largely lost its original meaning in religious circles. Although it has retained it in the academic phraseology, the word fellowship today usually means companionship. Normally it means just us interacting together. Like when we say many churches, not to put down any church, but let's go to Fellowship Hall as we eat and drink together just sharing a meal. But you can do all of those things and still remain far away from people in fellowship. You can still not be close to people, even sharing food and drink together if you don't open up to one another, if you're not sharing your concerns and your needs, if you're not praying for one another, if you're not uplifting one another, if you're not concerned for the work of, of, of God in, in your life and their life and in and around the world. And so that's what he's talking about. The word fellowship is a joint participation in a common interest and activity. Their partnership was in the gospel. And he remembered them with joy in his prayers because of that. They continued on despite affliction, despite their own need, trusting in God. And so this morning God says, trust, trust in me, not yourselves, not anybody else. First, come to me. And so he says, because of your partnership in the gospel, first day until now, verse 6, I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. We can look into just those couple of, of, of verses for a while, but Paul, in his ministry, in his time going throughout uh, the, the, the known world that, that he was a part of, traveling, teaching, preaching, doing all of these things. He was utterly convinced all the time of who God was, of what he had done, that it wasn't Paul's work. Paul was not doing this for the sake of Paul. Paul was not doing this so others can look and say, I want to be like Paul, or would look at Paul with envy and say, man, how come he gets all of these things? Why can't I be like that? Paul, remember that designation in the beginning, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. He recognizes that all of this is of God. It is the work of God for us. It is the work of God in us, and it is the work of God through us. There's nothing Paul would remember and say, I'm the chief of sinners. 
among everyone. I know what I've done. As he talked about all that he had seen and heard, as he's going into these different things, he tells them about his conversion story. You read about that in Acts. He's continually talking about how God broke through his life, radically changed him from a man who was persecuting the, the church of Christ Jesus to a man who was its foremost proponent of it, going to the Gentiles as God has commanded to him, as the other disciples are, are teaching and preaching in Jerusalem and other parts of Israel. Paul has been commanded to go out and others go with him. Barnabas has gone with him. Silas has gone with him. Timothy has gone with him. They're all going for the sake of the work of God that was done for us. Ephesians 4, he wrote to them at the church of Ephesus, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. He who began, it was, it's God who begins the work in you. When we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It's not our work, it's God's work for us, in us, through us. To the Corinthian church, chapter 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a very familiar verse, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. We didn't reconcile ourselves to God. God reconciled us to himself through Christ. And because of that, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is what Paul is concerned about. The ministry of reconciliation now is his life has been turned around. That's what he is, is, is giving these words of, of commendation to the Philippian church because they have partnered with him in this endeavor for the ministry of reconciliation, for the gospel to abound. That he who began will, a good work in you will bring it to completion. He is an ambassador of Christ. In Hebrews 12, it says in verse 1, let us run the race with let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. He's the one that has started the work. He is the one that is helping you through the work, and he's the one that's going to bring you to the end of the work. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Later in, in Philippians 2, he would say, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. At the day of Jesus Christ, obviously referring me, a couple of us uh, were talking back there, and, and this came up, talking about the day of Christ, that when the day of Christ comes, everything that we have done will be tested before God. Everything will be tested by fire. And Paul talks about that in, in, in the Philippian church later on. And so jump ahead just a little bit. He says, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That's what he's talking about there and in, in this verse, that he will bring it to the completion of the day of Christ. Trust in Jesus. Don't move from him. He's encouraging them in this. It says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. Verse 7, because I hold you in my heart. And so he's been thinking about them, but now he says, I hold you in my heart. I am thinking about you all the time. It can also refer to them holding Paul in their own hearts. It's this mutual love for one another in fellowship of gospel that they are experiencing because they are united by Christ. And they are having the fellowship of being one mind, single-minded focus of serving Christ and the ministry of reconciliation, of people's lives being changed. And so he says, I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Prison did not always obviously have a good connotation. If you were in prison, it was seen as a bad thing. 
You know, Paul is saying my imprisonment is for the sake of the gospel, and he's going to talk about that with them later on, talking about furtherance of the gospel, of the advance in the gospel in verse 12. But he's saying that these Philippians, they could have looked at him and abandoned him during this time, and yet they haven't done that. They've remained faithful to him, being partakers of the grace of God and the grace that is being given to others in his imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. God is my witness. He, he, he wants them to understand how strongly he feels about these things. This is, is, is certain, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus. When you think about that, how, how does Christ Jesus, how, what has he done for us? How has he yearned for us? What he, all the things that he has done. He lived a perfect life for us. He died a, a horrible death for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He did all of it. He loved us despising the shame of the cross. But on the third day rose the resurrection life, defeating the grave, giving life to us as well. Paul is saying, with all the affection of Christ Jesus. This is how strongly I feel about this. And it is my prayer. He says, I have you in my mind, I have you in my heart, I have you in my prayers. And so this is is, is his prayer his prayer that he has for them. And there's a few things that he asks. There's, there's quite a few things. So I want to take them just, just piece by piece and, and look at them. Um, but this is, is for us as, as well. To think about what Paul, his fellowship with the Philippian church, their partnership with him in the gospel, how they interacted with one another, how he prayed for them, how they should be praying for him, all of these things. It means something for us today because things are still going on where the work of the ministry is still being brought forth to other areas of the world. Missionaries are going out. Missionaries are coming in from other nations to the United States. And so it's not just work being done elsewhere, but it's work being done even here in our own area, in our own backyard. But it's partnering with others in, in the gospel, being of one mind. But his prayer for this, for them, is a call for maturity in the believer. And so he says, it is my prayer, verse 9, that your love, that your love may abound more and more. Their love has already been displayed. While they were in affliction, they gave to the ministry for the Corinthians, for the saints who were in need. They, they gave what they, they gave above their means, trusting God. Their love has been displayed. And yet Paul says, I want your love to grow and abound more and more, not to be satisfied or think that you have arrived. None of us have arrived. We are not there yet. We still struggle. We, there are still things we need to give over to the Lord. And his prayer is that they would abound more and more of love, that as they get more and more of Christ, as they see who he is, as they understand, they would display more and more of that love towards others. He would tell the, the, other, the other churches, Corinthians, you very familiar passage, the love chapter, chapter 13, 1 Corinthians. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, I understand all mysteries, all knowledge. If I have all faith so as to move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Love is so important. Colossians to the Colossians church, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And he says this, above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now it's important to note here, he says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. It's not just love for the sake of love. 
It's not just love. It's not just we go around and we say we be loving towards them, and so we're going to accept whatever anybody does. That is not what Scripture is advocating. It's not advocating that we divorce love from the truth. It's quite the opposite. Love embraces the truth. It stands on the truth. It doesn't shy down from the truth. Paul, in love, as he writes to many of the other churches, sometimes rebukes the church. Paul would even rebuke Peter in love about the truth. When Peter would go and eat with Gentiles, but then when there were Jewish people around, wouldn't associate. Was two diff- being two different people, was being a hypocrite. Paul would call him out on that. That's love in action. It's not just accepting the things that um, are apart from Christ or from Scripture that we are given. Our society says that. All right? You know, the Beatles, all you need is love. All right? Our world embraces that. All you, why aren't you just being more loving? Why don't you just accept them the way they are? Because it's really not loving if their souls are damned to hell. It's really not loving to let people suffer an eternal consequence when you yourself have seen and heard and experienced Christ and know the truth and to allow them to think that the life they are living is good. When in fact it's not. When Scripture says that all have sinned, all have fallen short, it's not that any of us are any better. And we always preface this. This isn't some high horse thing. It's simply acknowledging we are in desperate need of God and in desperate need of understanding His truth more and more. And so he talks about love abounding more and more but with all knowledge and all discernment. And so sometimes society will, will pick up on some of the things in Scripture. First Peter 4 eight, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Well, just if you love them, it's going to cover some of those things. What covers our sins is us being on our knees before God, repenting of our sin and asking for Christ's forgiveness on our behalf and trusting in His work and not our own. And that doesn't lead us to continue on in sinful behavior. That leads us and spurs us on as Paul is is bringing to their attention of more love and love abounding in knowledge and discernment. Matthew Henry in his commentary says, He means it of their love to God and one another and all men. Love is the fulfilling both of the law and of the gospel. Those who abound much in any grace have still need to abound more and more because there is still something wanting in it and we are imperfect in our best attainments. That they might be a knowing and judicious people, that love might abound in knowledge and in all judgment. It is not a blind love that will recommend us to God, but a love grounded upon knowledge and Judgment. It's a love grounded in the truth of scriptures, knowing what the word of God says and not backing down from the truth, but done in a way, as Peter would say, with gentleness and respect. He wants them to abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And he goes on, he asks this next thing, so that you may approve what is excellent, so that you may approve what is excellent. Another way you might be able to say that, so that you might test through your own experience as well to see that the things of God are excellent and give credence to them, to others, to know that these are good. That you may approve what is excellent. Through experience of a life lived for Christ, you would be able to prove. Kenneth Ruth says, Paul prays that the love manifested by the saints might be guided into proper channels by the limiting factors of a full and experiential knowledge and a sensitive moral and ethical tact. 
lots of, of, of words, but something not easily done. And, and that's why he says that your love abounds with knowledge, discernment, so that as you enter situations that are different, when you hear people bring before you different viewpoints, when you hear them bring before you worldly things, you can handle those things knowing who God is, what he has done, having knowledge, having discernment, having approved what is excellent, you can speak to them well. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The KJV actually puts it that you may be sincere. That you may be sincere and without offense. ESV puts it pure and blameless. KJ, King James says sincere and without offense. Talking about how we interact. Maturity of character in our lives. Maturity of love in our lives. And maturity in Christ. Be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. To be pure and blameless is not something that we can attain on our own. It all comes back to God. He who began a good work will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So the question is, what are you trusting in? Are you trusting in yourself? Or are you trusting in Christ? And so Paul finishes his prayer. He says, to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. That comes through Jesus Christ. Maturity in Christ. John 15, Christ would tell his disciples, Abide in me and I in you. We cannot bear fruit without Christ. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Paul is lifting up this prayer that this would not be just for themselves, but as they are filled with the fruit of righteousness, with the work of Christ that comes through him, that ultimately this would be for the glory and praise of God. Even as we, we sang this morning, it's for the glory and praise of God. The event that we just had Thursday, not so that we can say, hey, we handed out this much candy with this many tracks. The purpose of that is not to, to, to give out the candy. The purpose of that is to hopefully build a relational bridge through that event to be able to speak into somebody's life the truth of the gospel that they might not otherwise hear if they weren't coming for something different. And, and that work is not by us. The fruit that is, is, is born of that isn't because we have done it in a certain way. It's because God has prepared hearts to hear and understand, as Paul said, it is he who begins the work. It is he that continues the work. It is he, Christ Jesus, that will complete the work in us, not for our glory, but for, for his glory. And so true Christian fellowship is, is much deeper than just mere friendship. As I said, I, I borrowed the outline from Warren Wearsby where it's, he has them in their mind, he has them in their heart, he has them in our prayers. It's a good outline for us as we look at how, how can we be like the, the Philippian church and partnering with God's servants who are on the mission field. How can we partner with those even here in our own area who God might be calling out to the mission field? 
How can we partner with those who are already established, like Sharon and the O'Connors? What would God have us do? But it all is about Christ, not about us. And part of doing that, as Paul lifts up his prayer for the Philippian church, is for us to lift up our prayer for Paul, specifically us, our missionaries, each and every day, that just like Paul, hey, 10 years later, we're still lifting these people up. We're still thinking fondly of, of the time that we have. We're still being able to support financially some of these things, not because we have all the money in the world, but because God is the owner of all the resources, and we trust that he is going to do the work that he has told us he would do. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you. You are, you are so good. And Lord, we thank you just how the word of God that, that Paul brought to the, the Philippian church impacted their lives and so took root that as the Spirit worked and moved through them, they were convinced of your power and of your ability to provide for their needs and for the needs of Paul and for your work to be done. And, and, and Lord, we desire as well that we would have that same burden, that you would burden our hearts as well for your work to be done in our own lives as Paul was, was praying for them to abound more and more in love with all knowledge and all discernment, the same we ask in our lives as well. And that, Lord, you would, you would speak to each and every one of us of, of how we can have fellowship with the gospel, with those whom you have called out. Lord, I'm specifically bringing up, as, as Sharon comes next month, Lord, put on our hearts how we can partner with her more how we can interact with, with the ministry she is engaged in, whether it's financial, whether it's prayer, whatever her needs may be. Father, let them be known. Pray that you would supernaturally place some of these things on our heart and that as we hear your voice, we wouldn't shrink back and think, oh, I can't do that, but we would trust you who has all the resources. Father, we pray that you would increase our faith in you, in all things, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. And with, with this, if you would stand for the benediction, the author of Hebrews <clears throat> ends with this, and so it is our prayer now. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen and amen.